seated. I hope you'll come back tonight at 6 o'clock. We're having a little bit of a different service tonight. We're going to open with the choir. We're going to sing a hymn. And then I'm just going to turn the service over to the Clark family. They're going to sing and preach and sing and preach and do a little bit all through the service. We're just going to enjoy some good music and some good preaching tonight. So I hope that you'll come and be a part of that. Invite a friend. A lot of churches don't have an evening service. We, we went out for breakfast yesterday and our waitress at the end, she came to me. She says, who are all these people? And she was talking about the table with the, with the young people. And uh, she, said, uh, she said, they're so nice. And I said, well, they're a, a family singing group. And they're going to be at our church this weekend. She goes, I love Christian music. And we said, 6 o'clock Sunday night, do you have a service? She says, no. And so pray that this, this waitress would come tomorrow, tonight. We'd love to have her. And uh, there's lots of people out there just like that that are just longing to, to hear from God. And so would you uh, have them, uh, invite them for tonight at 6 o'clock for our evening service. Brother Mike Clark's going to preach to us. Let's have our Bibles ready. Good to be here this morning, Zechariah in the Word of God, Zechariah chapter number 7. I am aware of the hour and it's a little bit later than normal and with God's help I'm going to preach the message that God would have for us and not keep you here longer than what we need to be here. Some of you wanted to slip out with the kids and they didn't let you so uh, you, you would have just went right out the door and went and got your, your lunch and your nap but uh, no we won't be real long here this morning but, but I do want to have God speak to our hearts today through, through his word and I hope he's spoken to you through the music. God has blessed me through the music. I want to as a guest thank the public officials that are here. I know it's a blessing when when folks take time at our home church to, to make an effort. I know you have busy schedules and I know this church appreciates that. So for the southerner from New Jersey, it's a great thing. So thank you for being here and church family. Thank you for having our family. Zechariah chapter number seven in the word of God. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, the last three books of the Old Testament, they were written after the children of Israel were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. They were in captivity for 70 years. We'll talk about that in just here in a moment. But these are post-captivity books, and they deal with the time where God's people were allowed to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And we've got a little story here in Zechariah chapter 7 that we want to talk about this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you for allowing us to be here. And God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would speak to my heart as I preach your word. And I pray that when we leave here, we would be different than when we walked in and that we would live for you better this week than we did last. We thank you for it all in Jesus name. Amen. Zechariah chapter seven. My good brother Rob. All right. Here we go. First seven verses. Follow along in your Bible if you have one. If not, just listen. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius or Darius that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah. In the fourth day of the ninth month. Now, this would be a little different. The ninth month for them would be the month of December. Their first month is the month of April. So it would be December the 4th, the fourth day of the ninth month, even in Chislu, when they had sent unto the house of God Sherezer and Regamelic and their men to pray before the Lord and to speak unto the priests which were in the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets, saying, should I weep in the fifth month, separating myself as I have done these so many years? Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me, saying, Speak unto the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month. Let me pause there for just a minute. The fifth month 
is when they had a time of remembrance when the temple had been destroyed. And so the temple had been destroyed there and uh, on the 10th day of the fifth month. And it was a day they set aside to remember that. And then also it says they fasted in the fifth and seventh month. The seventh month was a day that they remembered when Gedaliah, the governor, had been assassinated. And uh, that would have been in October that that had happened. And you can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 25. So God's people had two different days where they set aside and they fasted. And it was a day of remembrance. In the United States, 9-11 for us is a big day of remembrance. In New York City, the towers were hit and they came down. And the slogan, you know, we will remember and never forget. And, and that is a sad day in our nation's history. And it's a day where we kind of set aside and remember it. And very similar to this, the day their temple was destroyed, the day their governor, Gedaliah, was assassinated. They had set these days aside and they had said to all the people, well, we're going to have a fast on these days. We're not going to eat food. We're going to set the food aside and kind of afflict ourselves and, and remember these days. And so the story goes on. They had done this in the fifth month, in the seventh month, in the middle of verse five. Even those 70 years, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? And when you did eat and when you did drink, did you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? I split this verse up a little bit, but what had happened was is this. They had now come back to Jerusalem and the new temple had been built. So they had these fast days, days where they refrained from eating, where they remembered the sadness of the temple being destroyed. Well, they had been taken captive for 70 years in Babylon, the Babylonian captivity. You remember that? The book of Daniel tells us about that. The children of Israel and Jerusalem had gotten away from the Lord and, and they went captive there, uh, the southern kingdom of, of Judah, into Babylon. And that captivity lasted 70 years. And the reason it was 70 years is because for 490 years, they had not kept the Sabbath. For the Jewish people, six days, right? And on the Saturday, they have their Sabbath. And they're not to do any work. They're set that day aside for the Lord. Well, they also had Sabbath years. If you were a farmer, you planted your field for six years. And on that seventh year, you let it lay. You let it rest. And you were supposed to do that as a year to the Lord, a Sabbath year, just like they had Sabbath days. Well, for 490 years, they did not obey that. They said, no, we're not letting this year of crops go to the Lord and, and rest to honor God, we're going to make more money. We're going to get more crops. And God said, I'll collect my Sabbath years. And they went into captivity for 70 years into judgment. And during those 70 years, that's a long time, they always had these days where they would take and fast in remembrance of the temple and the governor who had been assassinated. They also had feast days. Notice, notice this. When you did eat, seven, six. And when you did drink, did ye not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? So what had happened here is this. They sent some men unto Zechariah. And they said, would you go to the priests and ask the priest, should we keep fasting? Now that the temple's built, should we keep this day going? And the response is very interesting. Now, we don't have a lot of mandated fast days 
There are some religions where it is a very common thing that there's certain days where you fast and certain days where you're supposed to lay certain things aside. As Bible believers in this particular church, we don't we don't have a lot of those days because they're not in the Bible. My mom grew up very religious and there were certain days where she would fast and and set aside certain foods. When our family lived in Texas, the Roloff home, some of you may know the name Lester Roloff. We worked down there in, in 1980 and 81. The first Sunday of the month, it was voluntary, Pastor. It wasn't mandatory, but it's voluntary. Anybody who wanted to fast on that first Sunday of the month could do so. And we kind of did it as a group to pray for God's blessing on the ministry. Well, I was just a boy, and I remember that I used to hate the first Sunday of the month coming because everyone around me was fasting. And I thought, oh, man. So I remember going to my dad. I said, Dad, and boy, I'll tell you what, when you're 10, and they're not eating all day. That is a long day, preacher. And I said, Dad, do I have to fast? And he said, not if you don't want to. I said, good, I don't want to. And I didn't fast on those days, you know, but they had those fastings. But here these people have been fasted for, fasting for 70 years. And it's interesting is as they go and they say, ask the priest, do we keep fasting? We've been doing it for 70 years to to honor these days. And it's interesting that God answers their question with a question. And he says this, notice this, verse five, speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests saying, when ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even in those 70 years, here's the question. Did ye at all fast unto me, even unto me? God's response to them was this. When you fasted, did you even do it for me? 70 years, I know you've been fasting, but ask them this. Were they really fasting for me? And you know what? The answer to that is this, that they weren't. And they were going through this ritual. They were going through their, their, their habit, their tradition only to hear God say, yes, they did what they did, but they didn't really do it for me. You've been doing what you've been doing for seven years, but what you've been doing has just been a ritual. You see, they had stopped eating, but they weren't doing it from their heart. They were just doing it because they were supposed to. Now, in scriptures, the Bible teaches us clearly this, that God is always about the heart. You say, Mike, what matters to God? The heart matters to God. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're taught this. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks where, church? On the heart. Man looks on the outside, but God always looks on the heart. In Proverbs, we we see Solomon saying, my son, give me thine heart. And Bethel Baptist Church, you know what God wants this morning? God wants your heart. But often what we do is this. We emphasize the outward because you know what? That's what man sees. Man sees the outward. So we take care of the outward. I'm looking at you and you're looking at me. And all of us took care of the outward this morning to some degree. We did not walk in here the way we woke up. We looked in the mirror and we said, oh my, we put our clothes on. We may have put ladies makeup on. We brushed our teeth and we take care of the outward and we emphasize the outward because the outward is what we see. But listen to me, God looks on the inward, on the inward. And that's what God says is most important. Can I say this to you? True Christianity is about a relationship. 
It's not about ritual. It's not just about what we do. And strong relationships, church, are built on the heart. They're centered at the heart. Many religions, again, they're highly ritualistic, and yet they have very little relationship. And we say this, I don't have a religion, I have a relationship. I've accepted Christ. And my spirituality is about a relationship, not just about religion. Well, let me just give you this thought this morning and encourage you. Be careful that you keep your heart in what you do. For the past 25 years, I've had the opportunity to work in education. In education, we have something called rote learning. Rote learning. And they debate how beneficial rote learning is. And you probably had some of it in your classrooms. Rote learning kind of goes like this. And if you walk by many classrooms this year, you'd probably hear children saying, two times two is four. Two times three is six, right? Two times five is 10. Two times six is 12. Two times seven is 14. And they go through all their drills. One plus one is two. One plus two is three. One plus three is four. And they're going through. And what it is, is it's rote learning. And they're trying to drum into the heads of these young people over and over and over and over this ritual, this routine, so that they memorize these facts. But rote learning is this, by definition, learning or memorization by repetition often without an understanding of the reasoning or relationships involved. So that's where some educators go, okay, if they understand two times three is six, two times four is eight, they've got the song memorized, but if they don't know what it means, it's not benefiting them. And so really what it is, it's just this repetition that is somewhat meaningless. You get it in phonics where a and apple, ba and ba, car in car and, and it goes on and on duh in duck uh, in elephant and, and they'll go through it and what we're trying to do is this this rote learning and memorize and perform but until it has meaning it doesn't really benefit the young people it's just a ritual a danger we all face old and young is this today listen to me rote religion Wrote religion. You say, what is that, Mike? When we wind up doing things, repetitive behavior over and over and over, but like in education, sometimes it's without understanding, reasoning, or meaning. Wrote religion. Memorize and perform. And rote learning is not always bad, but can I say this to you? Wrote religion is always bad. It's always bad. God is not interested in our performance or our rituals. In sports, I love it. They'll get a guy to a free throw line in a basketball. And they'll get him after practice. They'll give him the ball and sometimes shoot hundreds of free throws. Bend the knees, follow through. Bend the knees, follow through. Bend the knees, follow through. Bend the knees, follow. And they'll just keep shooting and shooting and shooting until it becomes mechanical. Because what's the coach want? In the middle of a game, when you get there, whether you're tired or not, you step to that line, you bend the knees, you follow through, and you make that shot. And he wants them to be able to make those free throws without even thinking about it. And for sports and for school, rote religion is not always bad. But listen to me, it's always bad when it comes to God. Let me give you this verse from the New Testament. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 7. It says this, that we're not to be men pleasers. We're not to be men pleasers. 
We're not to do things just to be seen of men. And by the way, men pleasing is not just others, but sometimes ourselves. We're not to be men pleasers, but watch this. Ephesians chapter six says this, but rather servants of Christ doing the will of God. Here's the words for this morning from the heart. You know what we're told church? We're not to do what we do just to be a men pleaser. And we can do some things, preacher, just to please ourselves, honestly. You would not be pleased with yourself if you didn't come to church today. You would not be pleased with yourself if you did not sing when the the congregation was. We think, no, 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 I've got to do that. And we satisfy ourselves. Sometimes we do it, oh, I've got to go to church just because my teacher thinks that I ought to be there because my parents make me or because it's the right thing to do and I'm a member of the church, so I have to go. But listen to me, God says we're not to be men pleasers. We are supposed to do what we do from our heart. Religious activity has never impressed God. What impresses God is right hearts. In 1 Samuel, remember the story of Saul. Saul was told to kill all the Amalekites. And what did Saul do? Saul disobeyed. And he said, guess what we're going to do? The people have told me we're going to get the, we're going to get the sheep and we're going to not kill them. We're going to keep them and, and worship the, God with them. We're going to sacrifice them to God. And we have the famous verse in scripture where God says, to obey is better than sacrifice. God was not interested in Saul's religion, in Saul's ritual, in Saul's sacrifice. God was interested in Saul having an obedient heart. As God looks down at us in this room, listen to me, God wants to see your heart today involved in and driving all that you do for him. Would you look at Matthew chapter 15? Matthew chapter 15. Look at this in the scriptures if you would. There's a word that we somewhat despise and it's the word hypocrite. No one wants to be called a hypocrite. Many people will tell you that's the reason they don't attend church, because the church is full of hypocrites. And we would say, oh, no, 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 no. And we would never want to be called that. What's a hypocrite? Someone who's kind of two-faced, someone who acts one way, but really they're another. Can I tell you what Jesus Christ said a hypocrite was? Matthew chapter 15. Look at this. And you wouldn't want to be one, and I don't want to be one. But look at Matthew chapter 15 and verse 7. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this is what a hypocrite is. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips. They're saying the right thing, but their heart is far from me. Hypocrites, church, are not just people who go to the bar on Saturday and then they find themselves in the church house on Sunday. No, 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 no. They sing in the choir on Sunday, but they're cursing on Monday. According to Jesus, a hypocrite is anyone who performs religious deeds that are not heart motivated. You draw nigh to me with your lips, but your heart's not really in it. And God looks on the heart and God says, you're a hypocrite. When you do religious things, but your heart is not driving it, your heart is not in it, God says you're a hypocrite. 
And there are a lot of religious things we do. You came to church today and we had congregational singing. We had choir singing. We have preaching right now. We had an offering. God says this, when my people are doing things, saying things, but their heart is not in it, he says this, you're a hypocrite. They had all the right words, but listen to me, church, they were just words. Do you have Valentine's Day in Canada? Yes? That's not a joke. That's serious. I don't know if you have all the same holidays. Valentine's Day can be confusing. You say, what do I mean by that? Well, that's a day set aside where we're supposed to express our love to people. And there's none of us here, husbands, I would hope not, that would forget our spouse on Valentine's Day. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to get a card. We're supposed to get chocolate. We're supposed to get flowers. We're supposed to do something to express our love for them. But if we're not careful, the confusion comes with this. Is Valentine's Day just routine? Just rote? Just what they're supposed to do? Or is it real? You say, Mike, what makes it real? What makes it real is if it comes from the heart. And so is this just an expression, uh, just a fulfillment of an obligation? Or is this an expression of love? Now, there's nothing wrong with Valentine's Day. And don't pull that one out. Well, I didn't want to give you anything today because, you know, I don't want you to think it's routine. Routine's not bad. Daniel, famous man in the word of God, he had a routine. He prayed church every what? Morning, noon, and night. Every morning, noon, and night. And every morning, noon, and night. And can I say this? Routine is not bad at all. But make sure you keep your heart in your routine. Regimen is not bad. It's good. In fact, I encourage it. In the school that we have, I encourage regiment. I encourage routine. I'm all for it. But listen to me. Make sure you keep your heart in what you're doing. Rote religion, coming in here and just having routine will lead to ruin. God wants real. God wants a relationship. And I'm often I'm afraid that God's people have religion without reality. What makes religious things we do authentic is the heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What's the Bible say? An entire chapter that tells us in Scripture, if we do things that are not heart-motivated, they amount to nothing. Stay with me, church, and our message will be short here, and just in the end, we'll wrap it up. If we do things that are not heart-motivated, in God's eyes, it amounts to nothing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, if I give everything I have to feed the poor, man would look at that and say, wow, what a guy. But God looks and he says this, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and have not charity. That word charity is love. It's the heart. You know what he says? It profiteth me nothing. Though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. God teaches us that our heart has to be behind the things we do or they amount to nothing. 
And back in our text in the book of Zechariah, they came and they said, would you ask if we should keep fasting? We've been fasting for 70 years. And, 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 and every day we've, we, we set that food aside and we've been doing that. God, should we keep fasting? And God's response to them was a question. Ask them when they fasted if they even did it for me. Oh, I know they've been doing it, but they're asking me if they should keep fasting for me. But they never really did fast for me. They just fasted. Their heart wasn't in it. And God saw right through it. You didn't really give chocolate on Valentine's Day or flowers on Valentine's Day if your heart wasn't in it. You just performed your routine. You know, the scriptures teach us, and let me give you a few things. They begin with the letter S. Our songs ought to have our heart in them. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. I love the singing of this church, and, and our family gets to sing, and, and, and I enjoy singing. Let me give you a few practical points here, and we'll go home. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 19. Notice what the Bible says about our song or our singing. This is what scripture says. Ephesians 5, 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your, notice what it says, heart to the Lord. God tells us this, when we sing, we need to be singing from our heart. And can I say this to you, church? If our singing is not from our heart, just like 1 Corinthians 13, it's as if you did not do it at all. It's as if we say to God, God, should we sing another song for you? And he says, would you ask them when they sang a song for me? This morning, we had a song service. You grabbed a hymn book. You opened your mouth. But let me ask you this. Did you really sing to the Lord? Was it from your heart? See, God knows who really sang and who didn't. I would walk through and say, well, his lips were moving. I heard his voice. I heard her voice. But can I tell you, God's looking far beyond that. That's routine. That's our ritual. That's what we do. That's part of our service. But listen to me. The only people who really sang to God today were the ones who did it from their heart. And if you didn't do it from your heart... You didn't sing for God. You just moved your lips. You remember those hypocrites where he said, oh, oh, their mouth is moving. Their lips are saying all the right thing, but their heart is far from me. Who really sang in the choir this morning? You say, well, Mike, I could name them. Yeah, but listen to me. In God's eyes, who really sang in the choir this morning? Did Travis really sing this morning? As far as God's concerned, did Mrs. Judge really sing this morning? Well, only God knows that. Church, can I tell you this? The ones who sang this morning were the ones who sang from their heart. And if you did not sing from your heart, you did not sing at all. When you come in here, you say, boy, what would make this church a great church if we all really sang not to please ourselves, not, not, not to please others, but singing from our heart. God, should I keep singing? 
Could you ask him when he started? That's the response if it's not heart-driven. Our singing, is it from the heart? Notice next, the scriptures. Psalm 119, verse 11. I'm just going to give you this. Thy word have I hid in my heart. We ought to read the Bible. We heard about it in Sunday school. Brother Brad was talking about it. And it says this, Jesus said this, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. But listen to me, a routine of getting up every day and reading is not bad. But if we're simply reading and our heart is not in it, it's not good. And we need to make sure, you know, it's interesting how little the Bible says about reading the scriptures. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Think about it. Let it burn in you. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. You know what? We can get up and feel good about ourselves, preacher, and go, you know what? I, I read a chapter today. I read two chapters a day. My mind was wandering about the things I have to do all, the, all, all throughout the day. But listen to me. If your heart is not in your reading, may I say to you, you're not reading at all. God, should I read another chapter? Mike, your heart's not in what you're doing. You've not even started. Can I tell you this? God would rather you read one verse with your heart in it than in one entire book when your heart is not in it. You need to have your heart in what you're doing. You don't want to one day stand before God and God says, you did a lot of things, but your heart was not in it. So it's as if you did not do it at all. Supplications. Notice this. That's our prayers. Matthew chapter 6 in the scriptures. The Bible says this about our supplications, about our prayers. And we ought to pray. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray. Look at, look at this. They should not be as, as the hypocrites are. They love to pray standing in the synagogues, in the corners of the streets. That they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. Our prayers are not to be prayed just so that men can hear them. Our prayers need to be heart-driven for God. I love the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah wanted a son so bad. Oh, she wanted a son. She was at the altar praying and the priest stood there and looked at her. And it says this in the book of Samuel. We don't have time this morning, but you go and look at it. 1 Samuel chapter 1. The priest actually thought she was drunk because she was down there at the altar and her lips were moving, but no words were coming out. And the priest said, Hannah, are you drunk? She said, oh, no, my Lord. I'm praying. And no man heard her. But she says this, from my heart. From her heart. And you know what God gave Hannah? Gave her a son, what she was praying for. Because why? Her prayers were from her heart. Are your prayers from your heart or are they just wrote? Before we left, we said, someone pray for safety as we always do. And someone offered up a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we pray you keep us safe as we go to Canada. And I ask you, did someone really pray? 
Or did someone just say religious words? If they meant it, they really prayed. But if not, it's just rote religion. It's just routine. I think one of the easiest prayers for us to become rote is the prayer that we probably pray pray three times a day and maybe even more. And that's the one before we eat our food. How many of you pray and ask God to bless the food before you eat it? Would you lift your hand? Is that you? Who in this room? And, And my hand would go up with yours. And I can't tell you how many times someone has prayed for the meal only for me to be two or three bites into it and me say, did we pray yet or not? Anybody ever have that happen in your family? You've been there before? Why? Mike's mind was somewhere else. I missed it. I I, I wasn't even there. We get really good at it. You probably have your meal prayer memorized. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. I pray you bless this food in our body. In Jesus' name, amen. Something very similar to that. Anybody have a similar prayer to that? And can I say this? I wonder if we said to God today, God, should we keep praying for our food? If he would say, Mike, I don't know the last time you prayed for your food. Because if we're not careful, it just becomes routine. All with my family. Kids, how dare you eat? Travis, put that bread down. We pray before we eat, do we? Can I say this to you? You only pray if it's coming from your heart. Supplication. How much has God really heard from you this week? Scriptures, your heart. You're singing from the heart. How about souls? Mark chapter 16. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. We ought to go out and give out Bible tracts and tell people about Jesus Christ. But can I tell you this? You're really only after souls if your heart is in it. There's a bus ministry here. There's outreach ministries here. There's soul winning ministries here. What's the Bible say in Psalm 126, 5 and 6? They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. You know what tears are an indication of? The heart. Oh, Pastor Fury, I've gone out on a bus route now since the time I was just eight years old. I'm in my 40s. Years and years and years I've gone out and talked to people about Jesus. But listen to me. When God looks down from heaven, how many of those times did I really go? I only really went the times where my heart was in it. There were a lot of Saturday mornings I showed up and went because I was supposed to. And you know what it was? Wrote religion. Mike doing what Mike's supposed to do because it's Saturday morning. Mike doing what Mike's supposed to do because it's soul winning night. And I went out. My heart was not there. And when our heart's not in our religious activity, our Savior taught us that's the that's the the marking of a hypocrite. And I was just out doing and man would look and go, man, look at Mike on that bus route again today. Look at Mike out there. share. But watch, my heart wasn't in it and God's not impressed. Is your heart in your soul winning? Is your heart in your supplications, your prayer life? Is your heart in your scriptures? If you said, like these men said, do we keep fasting? We've been doing it for 70 years. Would God look down to you and say, hey, when did you even do it? Because you haven't been doing that for me. All the things you do, all of what we gather here each week, we stand, we sing, we preach, we work, we're, we're Christians. Are we really doing it for God? Whatever it is that you sacrifice, can I say this? Do it for God. 
God loveth, 1 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, a cheerful giver. Many of you would lift your hand and say, I put money in the offering plates at Bethel Baptist Church. Can I tell you, God bless you for that. But more importantly than your name on an offering envelope or you putting money in the plate is God looking down and saying, she gave today. He gave today. They sacrificed today. Oh, preacher, I've put money in offering plates so many times with giving no thought of what I'm even doing. Why? I'm a Christian. You're supposed to tithe. I give 10%. Been doing it since the first dollar I ever made. And I have. But would God say I sacrifice? Or is it just my routine? Would God say I'm a giver? Or have I just been going through the motions and it's what we're supposed to do, so I just put it in the plate? Can I tell you, this is foolish of those people for 70 years to fast. Fasting's miserable. You did this for 70 years only to hear God say, you didn't really even do it. Why give? Only to hear God say, you didn't do it because your heart's not in it. That's foolish. Let's fix that. Why, why go out on bus routes and witness to people only to hear God say, you didn't really do it because your heart's not in it. Why, why come to church and hold a hymn book but not really sing? Let's have God pleased with what we do for him and he's only pleased with what comes from the heart. I'm almost done. Our service for God, Colossians 3, 23. Whatsoever you do, I don't know who cleans this building. I don't know who will shovel the snow. I don't know who prepares the meals. I don't know who serves in the nursery. I don't know all who sings in the choir, plays the instrument, stands behind here, runs the sound. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily from your heart as to the Lord and not unto men. You don't want to shovel snow and serve and do all that you do only to find out it wasn't heart-driven and therefore results in a big zero as far as God is concerned. If God looks at your life and you ask God, should I continue doing what I'm doing? The preaching, the singing, the serving. Would God answer with the same question and say, when did you even do this for me? Can I tell you the most important part, part about all of this is salvation. Salvation. And in closing, would you look at Romans chapter 10 for me? And we are done. And I know it's been a longer day. Romans chapter 10. Would you look at this? Salvation. You say, Mike, what's salvation? Knowing you're going to heaven. What's salvation? Having Jesus Christ in your heart, your sins forgiven. Boy, it's a great thing. I can stand here, not because of my own doing, and tell you that I have been saved. I have been born again. I am a child of God. I am going to heaven, and it's not because of anything I've done. It's because God loved me, came to this earth, died on the cross, and offered me the free gift of salvation. But how do you get that gift? Romans chapter 10, verse number 9. Notice this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, that's a prayer, the Lord Jesus but look at this, and shalt believe in thine heart. 
that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You know what God says to us? It's not just words. I've talked to people. You going to heaven? You need to pray and ask Jesus Christ to save you. I did that. To me, it's not just a prayer. Oh, a prayer is part of it, but you've got to confess with thy mouth. You've got to pray, but believe in your heart. It's not just a prayer. How do we call on God? I've got my phone, and I understand we don't dial God on our iPhones. We get on our knees and pray, and I'm for that praying part, but God says a prayer that doesn't have a heart behind it is not a salvation prayer. And your heart has to be in that. You call on God and you believe in your heart. You know, rote religion will leave you with a rotten judgment seat. In 1 Corinthians, I'll read it for you. Chapter 3 and verse 13. This is what's going to happen for every one of us one day. Listen to me, every one of us. Every one of us. We're all going to stand before God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's works of what sort it is. One day in heaven, we're going to find out what you really did. Not what we saw you do, but what God saw you do. If any man's work shall abide, 314 of 1 Corinthians, which he is built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. What we did from our heart will be rewarded. And thank God for that. But notice this. If any man's work shall be burned, verse 15, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Oh, if you're a child of God, you'll still go to heaven. But listen to me. Your rewards will be burned up if they weren't heart-driven. Clark family, we drove from New Jersey to Canada. God willing, we'll go home tomorrow. Who in my family will have reward in heaven for what they did here? Can I tell you who will have reward in heaven? Those who stood on this platform and sang from their heart. A lot of miles to drive around to say, God, did you like our singing? And God looks down like he did to those men about their fast. He says, Mike, You didn't sing for me. Why travel across the United States and other countries and get up here and do this only to hear God say, ask him when he ever sang for me. Listen to me. It's not about what you hear. It's about what he hears. And he hears what comes from the heart. Proverbs chapter four teaches us thus. Keep thy heart with all diligence, with all diligence. My son Michael's a type 1 diabetic. Raise your hand, Mike. He sings the bass for us. I thank God for technology. One of the advances we have is I have his sugar numbers on my phone. So I find out if he's cheating or doing anything that he shouldn't. Right now, he's, oh, you were bad a little while ago. 
I see a graph. He was 300, which with you guys, I don't know what your calculations are. High, 15, okay? That's not good. Right now, he's 165, which isn't great, but that would probably be 11, 12, 9, I don't know, all right? Point being, sometimes I'll say to Mike, hey, your number's out of control. And he'll say, Dad, it's not that bad. I said, don't tell me it's not that bad. It says 300. He goes, it's not right. He has a sensor stuck in his, his stomach at a port over here. He goes, my number's not right. I said, all right. And this is what I'll say to him. Well, what is happening is this. The reading is not real. What it's saying is not reality. So he'll prick his finger and he'll test and he'll go, I'm not 300. I'm really only 120. So then he'll say this. I need to calibrate. I need to calibrate. You say, what does that mean? He punches in and he gets a correction here so that what this is saying is true. And it's in line. Some of you that shoot guns, you'll shoot and you'll scope. You'll get a scope and it's not shooting right. You bring that thing right in so that those crosshairs where you're shooting is exactly where that bullet goes and you bring it in. Mike has to calibrate at times. He has to take that number that's giving him a, 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 a non-true reading and bring it in so that it's right. And therefore, it's true and it's accurate. Church, I'm done with this. Can I tell you what all that you do, the singing, Miss Choir Director, all that we've got going on, I think you want to please God. I don't think you came to church today because you don't love God. And I didn't travel here from New Jersey because I don't love God. And the ladies in the nursery are watching those babies, and I think they love God. And Sunday school teachers, you teach each week, and bus drivers, you drive, and vacuumers, you vacuum, and people set up, and sound men run, and singers sing, and even the preacher himself preaches. But let me just say to you today, make sure your heart is in line with your service. Make sure you calibrate and how your heart will wander and get it back where it needs to be so that you're doing what you're doing from your heart. I found it this way. It only takes me a few minutes to calibrate my heart. I open my Bible in the morning. I don't want it to be just ritual, but often I have to grab my heart and pull it in and say, God, would you speak to me through your word? I get up to sing a song and I don't want to just be seen of men, but often I have to say, God, please, my heart's in this. Let me sing for you today. Brother Rob in the back as he walks into that sound booth, as he often does, needs to say, God, help me do what I'm doing for you today. Sunday school teacher, you turn the lights on and set up the chairs. God, help me to do what I'm doing. Bus driver, help me to drive for you today, God. Because that's what God sees. And that's what pleases God. And that's what one day when you stand before him will be rewarded. And you don't want to stand there one day and say for years and years and years, I went to Bethel Baptist Church only to hear God say, you did a lot of things. But you did not do them for me. Because your heart was not in it. Wrote religion. It's not about our routine. It's not about just the things we do. 
Oh, they're all good things. But God, help us all to have our heart in what we're doing. And not just rote, not just religion, not just ritual, but real. And then you'll one day hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Don't stand before him one day and have what you're doing burn up because your heart wasn't in it. You're good people. I believe that. You want to please God. I believe that. But you know what? The devil wants us to just do things without a heart in it. Calibrate. Get your heart into what you're doing. Everything, your prayers, your Bible, your service, your giving, all of it. And think about it and put it in your heart and do what you do for God. Let's not fall into the trap of rote religion. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. God, I know this service has been a little long. And these are dear people. We've had a special day. Thank you for our visitors that are here and the special singing. And God, I pray for this ministry. How different this church would be, God, if everybody truly sang next week. If everyone in the choir truly sang. If every Sunday school teacher was doing what they're doing from their heart. If we all gave from our heart. God, if we went soul winning from our heart. If we drove. If we, if we did all the things we do from our heart. God, help us to do that. Lord, I know when I get to heaven, some of the things I do will be burned up. I'll suffer loss because I've done them on days, God, where my heart wasn't in it. Oh, God, this church would be changed and go to new heights, new levels. If the members of Bethel Baptist Church would get past rote religion and have real religion, real relationship God, if we'll do what we're doing from our heart. We love you, Lord. Bless now. It's in thy name we pray, Pastor. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. The altar's open even now. If God has moved upon your heart, you step out and do business with God. I believe that'll help our church. It was worth the extra time this morning. Let's use this altar today. Maybe there's one here today. Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I do a lot of things but I don't know if I have a relationship there were those in the Bible said I have prophesied in thy name and cast out demons all kinds of things they did for God and God said I never knew you I never knew you where's your heart Brother Baker's going to sing you step out and come if you're not saved you walk down this aisle we'll help you today we'll show you what the Bible says about eternal life